You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Today is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. And I usually don't mention what day it is during my shows because, you know, due to the nature of this interview, I think it's important to know the timeline. I'm so grateful that we have this rare opportunity to have an in-depth conversation with an immunologist, an expert from one of the few manufacturing companies currently in the U.S. that actually produces a finger prick rapid screening test for the SARS coronavirus 2. I'll be asking a lot about this test that's now currently available. How accurate is it? You know, how is it different from other types of tests that are available? But before I start, I just want to talk to you about some numbers because I really think this will give you a perspective of why it's so important to be tested as soon as possible. And going to the doctors and treatment centers, not treatment centers, but centers that will do the testing. The World Health Organization, we know, has warned us all that the SARS coronavirus 2 pandemic is accelerating. Of course, in the U.S., it's been really increased, only because the numbers are going up because everyone's being tested. I shouldn't say everyone, but people are starting to test, and the the cases are becoming positive. Now, just to get you a little thing that I heard over the weekend, I thought that was very interesting, is that I heard that it took about three months to reach about 100 cases around the world of this virus But in 12 days, it took for the next 100,000, it took 12 days to get to 200,000 cases. But now in three days, of course, it went up to 300,000 today. I mean, just this last weekend, you know, I was looking at one of the websites by John Hopkins. And and then, of course, today, what I find that the total as of right now, real time is 466,836 across globally. And uh, in the U.S., it's 64,764 cases. So we've got a lot going on, a lot going on. And um, yesterday, when I took a look at how many deaths were positive, I mean, they were, they were counted in the U.S., there were 473. And today, it's over doubled. It's 921. And that's in one day. So... You know, as a practitioner, as a healthcare provider, I'm really concerned, really concerned because it's not stopping, of course, anytime soon. And the more we know, the more information we know, then the better we can serve our our patients and we can track everyone so that we do not get exposed and that we can handle, contain this as quickly as possible. So I'm I'm really um, excited to have here Dr. Jared Wilson. Jared Wilson is an immunologist. He's a virologist. He has a PhD from Emory University. He works for Ray Biotech, and this is a company that makes the different forms of testing for the SARS, including serum and um, as well as plasma. And the one that I'm really interested in, because this is a rapid test, it takes 10 minutes, and that's a finger prick test. And I just want to welcome you, Dr. Wilson. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're under a lot of stress and strain uh, to help people with this condition and trying to get everyone tested. Sure, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, quite busy. While we're usually a research use uh, only organization primarily, and we've kind of switched that almost entirely as most research has shut down and switched uh, almost all of our work to kind of developing these lateral flows and getting them out there. Okay, well, let's talk about the lateral flow. I mean, you, when I looked at your website and we did some, you know, chatting and all that, you mentioned that there's different kinds of tests. Let's first talk about the different tests you have, and then let's go into the lateral flow. 
Sure. So per the CDC guidelines, we did develop the real-time PCR-based assay, uh, but as a very high-complexity-based molecular assay, it requires a high-complexity lab to perform. So that limits not only testing, but you know people that can test. And so during that same time, we got lucky with some, some positive samples and went ahead and tried to develop a lateral flow serology test looking for IgG, IgM antibodies uh, to the target proteins of, of coronavirus, specifically the N protein. And so in that case, we're looking for, um, you know, in your serum or your whole blood sample, like a finger prick, like you were mentioning, uh, just a quick 10-minute test. If you've got antibodies to it, it'll bind up the protein and give a nice signal at the test line. To put it into layman's terms, you're likely used to like the pregnancy test for the P-strip. So imagine that, but with blood. And you basically get 10 minutes, a positive or a negative, uh, and then you can go from there. Let's go ahead then. I mean, you know, a lot of people that are listening uh, may not un- understand what IgG, IgM means, and what exactly the test is showing. So let's go into the two different types of antibodies that you're looking for in your test. Right now, your tests actually have two different kits for the IgM and IgG. And I was very fortunate to be able to do it on myself today. And with flying colors, uh, they did show up, they were negative, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be cautious and still protect myself. It just means that right now, as of you know today, it shows that uh, my immunoglobulins and my immune responses were negative. So can we talk about then uh, the two different you know immunoglobulins and tell us about the timing, please, the timing and why this is so important? Sure. So our timing is a bit of a guess because we're waiting on some real official, you know, hard studies done on serology kinetics. Uh, But loosely speaking, the immune response's first response with antibodies is uh, with an isotype called immunoglobulin M, IgM, pentamer of antibodies kind of linked together. It is really good at neutralizing the virus and targeting it for getting eaten by macrophages and other things. So it's really good as a first responder. After the IgM comes up and the immune system fully kicks in, class switching happens, whereby the immune system mutates that cell that's producing the IgM antibodies into different isotypes. And one of them that we're looking for here is IgG, so immunoglobulin G. Those antibodies are even more specific and have other fun traits. So they're single antibodies that can, you know, they can cross the placental barrier. They can go throughout the body. They're not as big as the IgM complex. So in general, you you know, IgM comes up first, and then as the body takes over the IgG, the IgM wanes and usually goes away. It probably stays to some degree. But if you have an IgM response, you're likely infected with something. So in this case, obviously SARS, if you're showing up as a positive. The IgG, on the other hand, takes, say, two weeks. Sometimes it can come up even earlier. It just really depends. It's highly person-to-person variable. You know, IgM response maybe as early as three days. We could probably pick it up maybe in the five-day window. Uh, we're not really sure. Again, we're kind of doing some guesswork based on some old SARS data on when it would be positive. And then from that five to 14 day window, your body would really start to transition away from IgM to a better IgG response. So if you've been exposed, you could possibly still register as a positive, you know, for some extended period until the titer just became too low. Uh, But if you got reinfected, you could come up uh, IgM and IgG positive initially. Uh, So that's a general rough guess on the kinetics for now that at least as far as we understand it. Great. So just to be clear, you, you know, if anyone does a test, you want to know whether or not the person, you don't want to be taking the test right after you went to your local food market and you think that you got exposed. This takes time. Your body takes time to make these immunoglobulins, IgM. So doing the test in the first two days, I would say it's safe to say it's better to wait like three, four days. 
And for the IgM, the peak might be up to about 7 to 14 days. That's what I'm hearing. And then as um, the IgM starts to go down after about 14 days, maybe at about 7-day mark, you might start to see IgGs, and it starts to climb up on the peak, maybe about 28, which is four weeks, about 28 uh, days. But so you can actually have both IgM and IgG positive at one time in that little sweet spot window. Is that correct? That's correct. So yeah, the IgG response is overtakes the IgM in terms of titer, the amount of antibody present per unit of volume quite substantially. Because again, IgM is your first responder. You want to kind of get it out pretty quickly because it's only so good. Whereas IgG is much better. It's smaller, uh, has much more, you know, fun activity levels. Right. Let's be clear also, anyone who is immunosuppressed or on immunosuppressants actually may not have a good pop on these tests. Is that correct? Because I believe that that's something you need to be careful with. And the number one test that is going to definitely give you a, a positive inaccuracy is a PCR test. Sure. Yeah, the PCR is the tried and true. That one's looking specifically for viral RNA, so the presence of the virus, usually in a nasal swab or some sort of throat swab. So that is, you know, the gold standard against like you have the virus, right? And um, you're detecting the virus. You obviously have the virus. Problem with that is it's. I mean, it's just as limited. Uh, there's some just sheer bottlenecks involved with getting that testing done. It takes longer. It's procedurally longer. And then you've got to deal with everyone making it. Um, as it relates to our IgM test, yeah, it's it just because you went to the grocery store today doesn't mean in three days uh, you're going to be positive. It definitely, if you're immune suppressed, um, you know, people on various inhibitors certainly will have a dulled response or even a muted response and won't respond very well at IgM at all. It'll mostly like class switch uh, internally. It may not even be detectable. And so this is where some of the serology tests are limiting. It's not a, it's not a perfect assay, but it's, you know, it's much more high throughput with pretty good uh, sensitivity and specificity characteristics. I mean, it's not 99.9% like the real-time assay can get to, uh, you know, but at 90%, you know, trying to screen a whole lot of people. 90% may be good enough in, a, in an in mass screening. Right, right. So I, um, I understand, you know, when we, you and I spoke, Jared, you mentioned that the sensitivity testing, which really has to do with false negatives, is that correct? False negatives, those are at, uh, that's, your sensitivity is at 95%. So it's pretty accurate for that. Is that right? Pretty accurate, yeah. And I mean, you would want something, you know, in the 90% range for false negatives. And again, with... This is even trickier, like getting access to positive samples for any testing is um, difficult. So we're, we're working with a small end value, but we're pretty happy with where the test is, you know, especially for IgM and IgG when combined together, just in case we miss that window, uh, or you're interested in testing for post-exposure type people that may be IgG positive weeks after. And then for the, the false positive rate, so the specificity, you know, we've got about 91%. I haven't seen the new data from some of the clinical sites that we're working with, but, you know, we're, again, we're pretty happy with, with high, you know, plus 90% uh, for those two values. Got it, got it. Okay, so let, let's ask this. I'd like to ask this question. Let's say that the patient is now IgG, right? Sure. IgG. But that doesn't mean that the virus is completely gone out of their body. Isn't that right? I mean, even if, let's say, they're, they're free of symptomatology, the PCR still be positive? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we... 
we're doing a little bit of guesswork on some of the positives that we have had that haven't been confirmed by real time. And these seem to be the kind of people being labeled as carriers, the fairly asymptomatic people that just, you know, had like a little cough or a little fever. I didn't really pay too much attention to it. So those people that showed an IgG positive, they showed an IgM positive too, to be fair. But we do think those might have been, you know, these these kind of just for whatever reason, they had a really good response or some sort of different response that neutralized the virus pretty well showed a positive, but they absolutely still have the virus, you know, be carriers of the virus. I don't know too much if it's been published on how quickly the virus is cleared versus if it's cleared as the symptoms wane, and then you could still shed for some period of time afterwards. So that absolutely could be the case. Right. So it's, I mean, do you recommend, do you recommend us to do the testing every two weeks and should we do both? That's a good question. So, I mean, in general, we're encouraging people to do both because you do get some added value of the IgG as a just-in-case, right? They had a muted IgM response or they're later on in the infection. Testing in two weeks isn't a bad idea. It's more of a, you know, right now we're relying on the clinical or uh, practitioner people to give some advice that the person should have the test or that they warranted, right? So they've got some symptoms and likely would be positive. You don't want to start testing people at like day zero. Like I went to the grocery store and there was an infected person there, right? They're not going to be positive for days, you know, maybe a week. Uh, but testing a couple days uh, after that, maybe even uh, like a week, two weeks might be too long. I mean, if you test at day seven, you were negative, but you have all the symptoms and signs, like we should probably test again at, you know, a couple of days later to see. Uh, whereas two weeks later, it's kind of past the point of, uh, does it does it really matter? You probably were, were positive and you've probably already had a real-time test. I mean, any positives we are encouraging to go ahead and get the real-time test done just as a confirmatory. Um, the test is, you know, it's not FDA approved just yet because of some of the fun paperwork that we have to deal with. Uh, so while we are confident with it, we do, you know, request that you contact your local physician, contact CC, contact the FDA to get a real-time test done just for confirmation purposes and for peace of mind as well. Right, right. I mean, so, you know, I remember there was a date, March 16th, yep. March 16th, when they allowed labs to go ahead and start producing, right, producing these tests. Can you tell me how long is it going to take for them to really follow up with you? I, I don't know. Then there's there's some split thoughts on how they might follow up. There's a, there's a group of thought that thinks they may go ahead and not EUA. Uh, uh, EUA is emergency use authorization. It's a FDA approved diagnostic kit when there's an emergency, right? Which this would be one. That process, they may not give any lateral flow serology type tests EUA authorization because they're going to prefer the CDC um, real-time PCR test kit just for, you know, whatever reasons uh, they have. So there's a chance that they might not approve any of these lateral flow tests. But what they did on March 16th was they said, okay, look, we know there's this serology version test kits out there. And this is a tried and true method in the field for HIV, HIV infection. You can test it really quickly, find out if you seroconverted and go forth. And they said, since this kit is out there, if you can show us that it's validated, uh, you do some you know, additional paperwork and, and data studies and you notify us, you say, hey, we've got this test and we intend to market it. We will acknowledge that and we will let you sell it you know, under the guise that you have to give all of this special wording from the FDA that says, you know, I notified the FDA, but this is not an FDA approved test and, you know, negatives should be followed up and not considered fully negatives and positives should be followed up and not be considered fully positives. So it's a, it's a pretty good step. It allowed a lot of these serology tests to come into the market. And we think ultimately this is going to be the 
the way that we're going to do this in mass testing. I mean, uh, Deborah Bricks even said in a, in an interview just the other day that what we really need are these finger prick serology type assays. Um, so right. there's a feed of, you know, someone in the white house even saying that's, that's the way we want to go. Uh, so hopefully that works. I mean, we're, we're lobbying with, with our Senator and, and governors to try and get some push for this. Uh, I mean, even if it's not ours, it's a much faster way to test, especially if you're trying to test, you know, millions of people at once. You can test a million people at once in a day if you had enough, you know, people doing the finger pricks uh, and you had enough tests. So it's it's certainly a better option than the PCR, but we do understand that, you know, there's some limitations to to validating a test. We want to play by the rules, uh, make sure it's a good validated test and get it in the field. I think for a screening test, I think it's excellent. It's super easy. When I did it, it took me less than a minute to put my you know blood and basically what you're doing is you wash off your finger uh, make sure you do it in a, uh, on a finger that's really nice and warm because you're going to have to squeeze some blood and and um, and then you collect it with a little pipette and you put it in this little bottle that has a reagent in it and you mix it and once you mix it you use the same pipette that you use to collect the blood and you put it in this little card uh, where basically there's a little window, a little small little little uh, vessel where you put the, a couple of drops, two to three drops. You just watch the changes occur. And the first bar that you see is the control bar. And then the second bar will either be visible, very light, or none at all. And that just gives you, whether you're positive, possibly they're suspicious there. Right. And then there's a negative. And it's so easy. And I must tell you, it, it it showed up for me like under five minutes. It wasn't eight minutes or ten. I could tell that in right. ten in five minutes, it was negative. And for both IgM and IgG. And um, you know, some people might say, well, you know what, is this gonna give you false hope that you're okay? Well, the way I see it is that. Knowing that I, right now, I have it, then I know that whatever I've been doing in the past two weeks has been really good, meaning I'm keeping myself healthy, I've got no reactions, I have no symptoms, and at least in the screening tool, it's giving me the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm doing well and I'm just going to continue what I'm doing, right? Right, right. In two weeks, uh, let's say, I, you know, and I haven't gone out. I mean, at all, 10 days, last 10 days, I haven't gone out, Jared. And, but let's say I've got to go out for whatever and get more food as we do. And for whatever reason, and then I'm going to, what I want to do is I want to do it again in two weeks. Sure. Like the reason why I say this is because who knows, my husband might've gone out and been exposed and I don't even know that. Right. I mean, that's the thing. But then you could blame him. <laughs> we just don't know because of that. I think testing is key. And what I love about your test really is it's so affordable. It is so affordable, right? Right. It's under $30, you know? I mean, to me, that's phenomenal. I mean, anyone, I think anyone can do it. It's too bad that it's not for free because I think the government should give it, give us to for free because I know in Korea it is, as well as in China, Yep. right? And yep. are these tests being used in China and Korea, South Korea? I don't know about South Korea. Uh, I mean, we know they're being used in China because it's it's our kit for some of the big companies and corporations there that's being used. So we've got large groups of people that want to basically screen their entire employees. And one of the requirements to go back to work in China right now is you have to test negative. And so these are being used as, as one of the frontline tools, along with the PCR. The PCR is the frontline. The lateral flow is being used as the secondary. 
uh, because again, there's a there's a fair shortage of some of the PCR consumables. So it, it is absolutely being used in the field, and we're starting to get some interest as well with people that want to do the same thing here in the U.S. You know, again, not that a negative is, uh, all right, great, I can go do whatever I want, because that doesn't mean that Joe Smith next to you is negative. So you still have to take some cautions, but it allows us to try and get a better window. There are likely more people infected than we know about, but until we screen everybody and we know all the information, we can't really kind of get our finger on this problem. Right, right. You know, I, I did some studying on the way Korea, um, how quickly they took care of this infection in, in their country. And I found out that they actually, they have a, an app. There's an actual app yeah. that tells you. A tracking app. Is that crazy? I mean, we need something like this here. A tracking app that tracks where the positive people who are infected are. And so those, that's the area that you need to stay away from. Right. That's how amazing it is and so fast. Um, they only, if I looked at the numbers, their amount of deaths so far is only 126. Yeah, it's, it's quite small. It's very, very low. And I'm a big believer in kimchi. I, I don't know if you know this, Jerry, but I'm Korean. And uh, I've been eating kimchi my whole life. But, but I recommend kimchi as an immune booster because I just read some studies showing that it improves the secretary IgA, IgA and IgG in your gut which builds your immunity and possibly even interferons to fight against this virus. We've actually had some um, some people from Korea and some people from India contact us with supposed home remedies, and it's tough to follow up on these, but kimchi was one of them, comically, that we heard about, uh, as well as um, spices and curry from some of the Indian groups. Heat is a is a big one that people are looking at, right? Like staying warm. We had some of the Indian people suggesting just to bask in the sun. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not sure how effective these are, but it is thought, I think the new theory is that the, the virus is going to be a little bit heat label or heat label, which will be really good as we approach kind of the summer season, especially as everyone's going to start worrying that I've got a sniffle from allergy season that's coming soon. That's right. The allergies, that's a concern because now you've got another layer that's going to put you in a position where you've got a lot more mucus going on, you're weaker, and you might have some more problems. The vitamin D is important from the sunlight, obviously, the sun, and the vitamin D is a well-known, scientifically documented, immune-boosting pro-hormone that we all need to build our immunity. But when it comes to kimchi, the lactic acid bacteria in the kimchi, the science shows, and these are all Korean scientists have been studying, and specifically, they actually study with the SARS and the MERS. In 2012, they actually studied kimchi with the MERS virus and the coronaviruses, uh, the past corona, and that's what they found, is that that's how they extrapolated the information that that's the immunity is boosted in that manner, including, of course, the lactic acid bacteria that improves the barrier action in the gut and the improving the microbiome in your respiratory system. Yeah, microbiome coming soon to a science class near you. That's going to be, I mean, we're already seeing that in a, from a research perspective. Just what your gut does, I mean, you're the bacteria on top lining, et cetera, across your gut and your interior lining does some amazing things. Uh, I mean, we, you've already seen it with a probiotic, you know, burst onto the field. Like there are some, there's some quasi-science out there, but there's actually a lot of really good data around some specific strains that do really cool things that, you know, otherwise you would have appreciated it being attributed to the immune system or to, you know, general eating health or whatever. And uh, now we get to hear a little bit about what's actually going on, you know, inside the body. That's right. That's right. Just a couple more um, questions. Um, let's say here, you know, in your kit, 
there's two separate cards. And what I mean by cards is that uh, you need one for IgG and one for IgM. And there's two separate cards. I know of another company that have not been selling yet to doctors yet, at least. Uh, they have it in a single card. And I'd like to ask you why yours is in two cards. I mean, a couple reasons. So, like, theirs works quite well. And there's no, we're not here to, to bash another because we want to get kits out there. When we tried the combo, so putting them both on the same strip so that you get three lines, right? You have the test line, the IgM line, the IgG line. We did not see an improvement in our sensitivity and specificity, but actually a decline. And so when we ran them separately, independently, we got a lot better results. And while the other results were probably okay, we chose instead to focus on you know, not reinventing the wheel or kind of grinding out too hard on it uh, and just do the two cassettes separately. Uh, and so for now, that's how we're offering it because we got just much better results on it, you know, with at least how we've built the assay. So not that the other assay, you know, doesn't work or doesn't work as well. They obviously have, have solved that problem, but at least that's just how, you know, we designed the kit and how we got the best results. Great. So when I ordered it, you know, I'm, I ordered it with the mind that I'm going to be helping my patients and I'm going to take care of them. But what if people out there who are listening to the show, what do they need to do so that if they want to know and they want to use the same kit, your kits, both IgM and IgG, what do they have to do so that they can see if they have the virus or at least the immune immune response to the virus? Right. So anyone who's interested, uh, we're kind of shunning them to their local physician or some sort of group. There's some you know, some groups we're working with globally, be it ours or, or anyone else's kit. If you want to get tested like this, just reach out to your local doctor. Say, hey, I heard about this test. You can give them the spiel that it's not FDA validated or whatever. Say it's tested. I mean, it's it's available to be tested as a good frontline screening. And so if you're interested, you can absolutely ask your doctor to bring this in. We can sell it to the doctor. The doctor can arrange a time to either do the drive-through style testing, uh, which is being done with a real-time assay, or you know our testing, which is a finger prick. Uh, it's quite quick. It's what we've worked out with uh, some groups around, you know, just our business area because we have people coming physically to our business asking for the test. And so we've worked out a, you know, a relationship with a with a doctor nearby who's doing the test as a as an offer of care. If you really want to have it tested, you suspect that you may have been exposed based on, you know, some criteria that we've set. You know, set up a time, tell them you're interested, tell them about our test, tell them about another test uh, that's a lateral flow type assay and say, hey, I'd like to try this. And hopefully they'll you know, be interested in bringing in a test because odds are you're not the only one trying to trying to have this test done. Right, right. I've already shared it with a, uh, my group of my doctor friends, um, three, four thousand doctors, and and I'm hoping that a lot of them. I, I'm sure there are a lot of them calling you, right, Jared? I I believe we've heard from several already. Yes, yeah. so we're gonna have to set up you guys a, a dedicated site if if it keeps keeps coming. So that's great. That's great, and I, I I just want to thank you again, and I know that you guys are working hard because you answered my call on a Sunday, and I was very appreciative of that. And uh, I want you to know what you're doing is, is fantastic. And just keep it, keep doing what you're doing. And, and I mean, are we short on tests? I, I'd like to ask you, are you short on tests right now? We are having to ramp up capacity just to meet the current demand since the kind of the FDA issued the new guidance. So we're expanding to over 200,000 tests to be developed a day. We're selling through that nearly as soon as we can get the order in. So you know, if, if you're interested in the test and your doctor wants to order, there's about a one to three day lag time just to basically get get the order and get the team to process it. We're a, 
a smaller business that's all of a sudden having a huge influx of potentially interested customers. Uh, so having to process all those orders and then not only that, but then queue them up to, you know, to be actually packaged and delivered. But we do ship standard overnight. So, you know, one to three days, we can usually turn around most orders. Great. And what is your website that they can go to? Sure. We're at www.raybiotech.com. That's R-A-Y-B-I-O-T-E-C-H. Uh, we've been around since 2001, uh, originally founded actually out of Emory University. So, Fantastic. I really thank you. And uh, stay strong and stay safe here, Dr. Wilson. We will. We, uh, we stay safe, wash, and, and uh, be merry. So, <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. This is Dr. Suzanne.